Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Kent. And I'm Derek Morris. And Anthony, I brought my Bible today. I understand I'm going to need it. You certainly will, and our viewers will as well, Derek, because in this program, we're going to explore challenging Bible texts and how to understand them. I think about my uh, life, especially as a young pastor, but even today, there are some texts in the Bible they're difficult to understand. Exactly, and I think that's something that we all wrestle with. And it's imperative that we do know how to understand God's Word for this time. How do we decipher some of those cryptically coded passages that are difficult to understand? So who's our, who's our guest for today? Sure, Dr. Clinton Walleen, who is a biblical scholar and a very good one at that. We're delighted that he's able to join us for our program today. And we're delighted that our viewers are able to join us. And we'd like to invite you to stay in our program for more of Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. We're delighted that you've joined us. In our program today, we're going to be exploring how to understand difficult Bible texts. And joining us is Dr. Clinton Walleen. Clint, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's my yeah. pleasure. Now, Clinton, you're a Bible scholar now, but you haven't always been a biblical scholar. Not only not a biblical scholar, not a student of the Bible at all. I was not a Christian, not raised as a Christian. Uh, I, in my teen years, considered myself an atheist and really didn't want much to do with Scripture at all. So you were an atheist, and now you're a, <laughs> a Bible scholar? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, the, um, obviously it didn't happen overnight. Um, I had questions, uh, everyone does, about meaning of life, why we're here. And um, the opportunity came to, to read a book about the Bible. I thought I should know something about the Bible. Educated people do, and so I began reading. And I was fascinated by Bible prophecy. In fact, it caused quite a problem for me because if the prophecy, which seemed to be true hundreds of years in advance, then the Bible is more than a human book. Okay. And then there's someone up there that I have to think about. I didn't want that. Mm. So this sounds like a call onto your life. Yes. Yes. It was. So you, you've done some formal education in biblical studies? Well, interestingly, just after I finished high school, secondary education, that was when I began my really uh, first study of the Bible. And I became convinced of God's love for me, that the plan of salvation was something that a human being would not invent. It was divine, okay. the love of God for me. And um, then through my, after making a decision, uh, to give my life to the Lord Jesus. I wanted a Christian education because I hadn't learned anything up to that point that I needed really to know for eternity. So I had formal education in theology and sciences because that was my interest. Science and theology, yes, that's an interesting yes, combination. Yes, computer yeah. science and theology. I finished uh, two degrees, uh, bachelor's degrees. And then um, master divinity degree, I spent seven years in the ministry, taught uh, six years at an undergraduate seminary in Russia, and then went for a PhD in, in England. 
So whereabouts in England did you do your PhD? Uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah. That sounds like a reasonable place to do a PhD. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It was very challenging, a very stimulating environment. I realized um, I needed a lot more to grow, and that was a place to do it. Yeah. Well, you sound like the ideal candidate to come onto Ministry in Motion and help us to understand challenging Bible texts. I hope so. We're delighted you're here. Thank you. So, Clint, one, one thing I've noticed is that some of the clearest Bible texts are often the most challenging ones. It, it can be because we don't know what to do with them. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's, there's some texts which make a call upon our lives which are quite challenging, a challenging call in that in places sell all that you have, give to the poor, and Jesus said, come and follow me. Turn the other cheek. Yeah. Don't invite the people to your home that can pay you back and invite you again, those that, that cannot exactly home. They're, how do you find those challenging? I, the same way you do, I think. It's, it's a matter of believing them and putting them into practice. Yeah. Every day, thinking, what is God's will here yeah. in my life at this moment? So it, it can be demanding, it can be challenging. The clearest Bible texts can provide that challenge. But there is another alternative challenge in our Bible study as well. There are those Bible texts that are difficult to understand. Those Bible texts that perhaps are not as clear as the clearest. What are some of the principles that we can use to decipher some of those cryptically coded texts or difficult to understand texts, what would you advise and suggest? Well, first of all, to recognize that the Bible, it was written over a very long period of time, about 1500 years, 1600 years perhaps. And uh, so we need to understand that it's, it's over a long period of time by different authors, variety of literature is there. So you have gospels, you have the Psalms, you have uh, apocalyptic prophecy, you have the prophets, classical ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah, um, historical books, of course, the Genesis, Exodus, um, the legal codes in Leviticus, mm -hmm. also in the New Testament, wisdom, wisdom literature, Proverbs, uh, in, in the Gospels. Let's, let me just interrupt you there. Some of the terms might be a little daunting <laughs> for, for some. Apocalyptic literature, what is that? <laughs> Well, yeah, this is hard even for scholars sometimes. <laughs> we have worked for maybe decades or, or more to figure out how to define apocalyptic literature. But basically, it gives God's, uh, the divine view, you know, uh, uh, the, the classical prophets were the conscience of the nation of Israel. And they would, they would give messages that were very clear and understandable, maybe like I, we were talking about earlier, a little too clear. Mm -hmm. And some of the prophets were, were persecuted, even killed, because their messages were just too plain to be misunderstood. Um, and then there is a glimpse, usually, of hope, even though there's judgment, it's mixed with mercy and hope. Mm -hmm. um, but most of it is concentrated on the time of the prophet. With apocalyptic prophecy, then, uh, Daniel and Revelation are the biblical examples of this with scattered places in, in Isaiah and the, and the Gospels that uh, have a little bit of apocalyptic in them that really tear aside the veil between good and evil, how God is working, and the predictions are through time. 
and unconditional and will happen. They are fulfilled through history. Whereas in, in the classical prophets, there's historical fulfillment. Sometimes it depends on people's choice. If they go along with God's way, it's fulfilled. If not, it's not fulfilled. But ultimately, in the end, they will be fulfilled. It sounds like a conditional prophecy in some respects. Yes, conditional. Sometimes there's dual fulfillment depending upon the prophecy, one historical, one at the end time. Okay, okay. And apocalyptic literature is more a prediction about the future, moving on from the prophet's time into the future. Is that yes, true? Yes, exactly. It, yeah. gives, it gives a timeline of history showing that regardless of the ups and downs of kingdoms and events of history, God is in charge. And as we look back, just as Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, then you will know that I am he. And an atheist many, many years <laughs> later can read these and see a reason to believe in that God. Exactly. In fact, Daniel 9 was the classic case for me. I mean, here is a prophecy that... Uh, you know, spoke of the death of the Jews' Messiah, mm. something that was unthinkable. And yet it, it took place right on time, and really it's undeniable. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's say we've, in our daily reading of, of the Word, we, we come upon a text that's very difficult to understand. How would, how would you approach that difficult to understand verse? Where would you start? Well, first of all, from what I've already said, we need to come with an attitude of faith. It's a book of faith. It, it, is, it breathes faith in God. It's breathed by God, mm -hmm. inspired. That's what the word inspired means, God okay. breathed. His spirit has, has breathed through the prophets a message that we need. And that's a, a living message. It's not just 2,000 years old, but it has a message that's for us today. And so we need to come uh, to the Bible, even with my education, many years of study, I need to come and say, Lord, teach me. Maybe I have not seen really what you most want me to see. I, I need to come with the attitude of a learner. Taking my shoes off, figuratively speaking, I'm on holy ground. God wants a message understood, and the only way to understand it is by faith. Thanks, Clint. We're going to come back to this because there's a lot more in the process of understanding. But stay with us. We'll be right back with more of Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. In today's program, we're exploring how to understand difficult Bible texts and the challenges of difficult Bible texts. Joining us is Dr. Clinton Walleen. Clint, just before the, the, the break, we were looking at the attitude that we bring to our study, which is prayer, a teachable spirit, and a willingness to accept what we find. What are some of the other important things that we, we need to do in understanding a difficult or challenging text? Well, really, part of that is setting aside what we think we know and just reading the text because as we read it slowly, carefully, maybe one verse at a time, thinking about it, even, you know, remembering that the authors were real people like you and me and that we can maybe jot down questions that we would like to have been able to ask him. And as we study the text, those questions will be answered. Right. It's, so it's a teachable spirit that we're bringing to, to the passage. Yes, and comparing 
versions is very important, especially, of course, if we can look at the Greek and Hebrew, that's great. Uh, but uh, And when even when we can do that, comparing versions is helpful because there are various different translations that make a big difference how we read the text. Tell us more about those different translations briefly. There are three main types. The first is a literal word-for-word -word, uh, translation. This is represented by the King James Bible, the New King James, um, the RSV, Revised Standard Version, uh, the English Standard Version, which is what I have. Right. And then there is, uh, the, of, on the other extreme, is the paraphrase, which uh, is represented by the Living Bible, the message, clear word. Um, this uh, tries to just convey the message of the text without really paying too much attention to the literal words or sentences. Then in between those two is the equivalence translation or sometimes referred to as dynamic translation. They're, they're not strictly trying to take one word in the original to translate it into a word in English or whatever target language, but the meaning of a phrase or idea. Some words will be translated, one particular word in the original will be translated many different ways depending on the immediate context. And that's represented by translations like the New International Version, the New Revised Standard Version. Okay. Now, not everyone reads Greek or Hebrew, but there are many people that are multilingual or bilingual. They're, they're at an advantage in Bible study, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, uh, when we can know other languages, um, I sometimes consult uh, the German or Russian translations. Those are the foreign languages I know best. Um, then we can, we can get a new idea of how that was understood by the translator. But every translation is an interpretation, and so ultimately it's helpful to compare several. And then when we do that, we see the variety of ways it can be understood. And through study of the whole scriptures, we get an idea of which is the best translation of a given verse or word and how to understand the larger passage. Right. Now, what about specific and individual words within the passage that we're looking at? Do they deserve special attention? Not every word, but there are certain key words that without a clear understanding of what they mean or whether it could be understood several different ways, you will not understand the passage itself. How, how would you identify a key word? What, what are the characteristics of a key word? Uh, they are words that are used several times in the passage. Repetition? Yes. Okay. Um, regardless of form, singular, plural, different cases, uh, but if it's used several times, it's obviously an important word. Another uh, example is where a word is really uh, a word that is very common in the Bible, like justification, or um, the Exodus, um, you know, the, the, the idea, even if the word itself is not used, but the themes. Uh, and that, that then we get into the larger theology of the passage because there are allusions to earlier passages of Scripture. There are allusions to different areas of Israel's history and history of the church that we need to be sensitive to. Yeah. Those are all in the passage. We should make note of them for further study. Right. Now, another key word that's often used in biblical study is context. Why, what is context and why is that so important? <laughs> well, of course, you know, the, it's a cliche. Uh, a text taken out of context is a pretext, meaning a pretext for taking it in a meaning different from what the text says. Yeah. And uh, we can't do that. We, we would rip a verse, it sounds good, 
but uh, when, from the context itself, when we read the paragraph before, the paragraph afterward, or even verse before and verse after, it's clear that's not the meaning of the text. Right. One clear example is found in 1 Corinthians, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And we often think of heaven and, you know, the new earth and the things that God has prepared. But in fact, Paul says in the very next verse, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Mm. Speaking of the salvation that has come in Christ, of course, that is also future, but it's present as well. Yeah. Now, can it be helpful to know a little about the author, the historical era in which the author lived and perhaps who the, the material that we're reading was originally addressed to? It's vital. But often we go to commentaries or history books to find that out when in fact the text of scripture gives us a lot of information. It's just sometimes uh, maybe we don't put in the effort we should. I was going to say, and, and it's true, you know, I'm too lazy sometimes and I, I, I do things that are uh, shortcut, but there's no real, uh, no real reason not to spend more time with the scriptures. And I know in busy pastor's life, that's not easy, yeah. but it's richly rewarded. In the text itself, there are clues. When we look at Peter, you know, or Paul, who have written some of the letters of the New Testament, we know about them from many other places in the New Testament. We should study those and, and know their, their experiences. When we look at the book, we should read the book from start to finish, not just the passage itself that we're interested in. And there are many uh, examples in the text of, uh, of the passage then that connect with that larger book. Thanks so much, Clint. When we come back after the break, we're going to explore an example of how to understand a challenging Bible text. Make sure you join us. Coming right up next, Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion, where we're exploring how to understand difficult Bible texts. Joining us in this section of the show is Derek Morris, our co-host. Welcome, Derek. Thank you. And Clint, just before we went to the break, we looked at the principles of how to understand Bible texts. But before we explore an example, there are a lot of study Bibles that are around today. Is there a brief comment you'd like to make about study Bibles just before we, we get into the example? Well, I, I like study Bibles, but to be honest, um, I avoid them because in some cases, in fact, the, you have, when you look at the text of Scripture, you have more study than you have Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interpretive. It's a commentary, really, on the Bible. And our eyes flow. I, I used to read it, and then I found I was reading more of the notes and not so much of the Bible. In fact, it's a recent phenomenon. Most uh, Bibles up until the middle of the 20th century did not have any study notes at all. If they had anything, they had marginal references, maybe uh, alternate translation, but that's it, because our focus should be Scripture itself. That's helpful. Well, lead us in an example, Clint. Have you got a Bible text that you think that we could look at? Well, there are many. You know, I brought a book along, in fact, because what I have in just a few minutes I can't share alone, but it's interpreting Scripture, Bible questions and answers. Over 100 questions are answered here. It's a very valuable book. And one of the chapters in that book deals with 1 Peter chapter 3. And there is a very familiar verse you will find um, in verse 
18 and 19 where it talks about Christ who was put to death in the flesh, that's toward the end of verse 18, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, the question is, who are these spirits in prison? You know, I can remember first reading this and wondering, what is this talking about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a difficult text. It is, yeah. it is. It's not obvious on the face of it who these people are, when this took place. Was it Jesus that preached to them, or the spirit of Jesus, or, or somebody else? Uh, who, what is, how do we understand this text? So, we apply the same principles that we've talked about already. We have to look at the whole book, really, of 1 Peter, and even 2 Peter is helpful here, and the larger context of Scripture. We find when we do that, first of all, it's helpful, as I mentioned, too, to compare different translations of Scripture. When we read this in different translations, it comes across quite differently. For example, where it says, in which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, the New American Standard Bible inserts the word now to the spirits now in prison. Now, fortunately, that translation italicizes words that are supplied that are not in the original Greek and Hebrew. So that's italicized and readers know. But then there are other translations like the new NIV, the New International Version 2011, that takes this very clearly in sort of chronological order. He was put to death in the flesh, then he was made alive in the spirit. After that, he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. And so you have a, a first, second, third chronological sequence that it orders through the translation. This is not in the Greek text. I was going to say, it's almost like they're supplying words in order to make a sequence uh, apparent. Yes, every translation is an interpretation, and that's why when we compare translations, we can see the variety of interpretations. And in difficult or challenging Bible texts, it's especially important to do that. Mm. So what is this text saying, Clint? <laughs> okay, so, well, if we would go through a thorough study, um, it's in more detail in the book I referred to, you would find, first of all, that who is being re, uh, preached to, the spirits in prison. The word spirits is an important word. It's already referred to in the previous verse, in the spirit. It was Jesus in the spirit that made uh, uh, this preaching or proclamation. And so if we look at the word spirit or spirits and how it's used, we find two things. First of all, with regard to spirit, already in 1 Peter chapter 1, it refers to the spirit of Christ who was in the prophets and who were in their prophecies foreshadowing the salvation that Christ would bring. So it's a clear reference when the Spirit is referred to in singular, it's referred to the Spirit of Christ and through the prophet speaking, not Christ himself in person. And then spirits can refer several ways. It can refer to spirits and demons, unclean spirits. Uh, it can refer to spirits of um, of people, so, but not necessarily, not dead people mm -hmm. uh, so much as actually those who are alive, the way we would use souls today. It, it sounds like the, the understanding, the, the, the word studies, the importance of that that we were discussing in the early part of the show, this is coming out now, the importance of understanding that single word, spirit. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and since it's used twice, you know it's an important word here. Yeah. I know we don't have time to unpack this in detail. You talked about a book which maybe we can make available at the end of the program. But, but one thing I'm learning just very obviously, you can't have a hasty reading of this. No. You've, you've got to be very careful and look at the, the, uh, 
text as it's unfolding. Yeah. And the book's by the same author. Second yeah. Peter is also very important. For example, t different translations translate the word in verse 19. In my version, English Standard Version, it's proclaimed. But keruso in Greek means preach, and that's normally how it's translated in the New Testament. The noun form is used in 2 Peter about Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So here you have the reference to Noah in 2 Peter and his preaching. Um, same context as what we have here, and that helps us a lot. And then when you look at the order of what's being said, it's not chronological, but it's becoming more and more focused on who is referred to. I think we need that's, to get the book. Yeah, that's fascinating, Clint. Thanks so much for leading us through this study and through this example and that the journey of how to understand the, the Bible better. You're welcome. Thanks very much and thanks, Derek. And thank you for joining us as well. We're delighted that you've been part of the, the program today. For more information, come to ministryinmotion.tv, our website. On the website, there'll be a link there to the book that uh, Clint referred to, and also there'll be an opportunity for you to send and offer feedback to us by emailing us at feedback at ministryinmotion.tv. We'd be delighted to hear from you. And we'd also be delighted if you joined us again for our next program. Please come back and join us, but until then, may God bless you in your ministry.